Welcome back to the Sustainability at Haas, a podcast looking at how the UC Berkeley Haas School of Business is shaping the next generation of sustainable business leaders. I'm Adriana. And I'm Olivia. And today we'll be talking to Kat Baer, Associate Director of Sustainability at UC Berkeley Haas School of Business, and to Sanchita Saxena, Executive Director at the Institute for South Asian Studies at UC Berkeley. So, Kat, we would love to hear a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to Haas. Thank you so much, Olivia. It's great to be here and thank you for having me on the podcast. I originally came to Haas to run the Sustainable and Impact Finance Initiative. In that role, I was very focused on a particular area of sustainability. I was working mostly on sustainable finance and impact investing. And we have some incredible MBA curriculum in that area that's really focused on hands-on learning to enable our MBAs basically to get the top jobs in this field when they graduate. And the reason that I started there is because I think that program is really important um, because what it showed me and what I think it's representative of is the incredible range of sustainability programming that we have here at Haas. So I took that role in 2019. I got about three months before the pandemic closed down the campus and we went fully remote. But today in my current role, I get to support and champion all of Haas's incredible sustainability programming. So I work um, with staff and students and faculty who run our dedicated initiatives and centers on sustainable finance, sustainable food, CSR, real estate and energy. I work with our faculty's cutting-edge research. Uh, we are working to ensure that we're expanding what we're offering to all Haas students, so from undergraduates and graduates. So it's a very, very broad remit, which is great because that's really what I believe that we need to really tackle these issues of climate change and sustainability. And that's fascinating. Working with you it has been a like eye opener to see how many how much can be done for like a school of business in order to transition it into something more sustainable focus. So thank you very much for all your contributions. It has been a really pleasure for us to work with you. So you mentioned several programs like SIF and, and others that are really shaping the way uh, UC Berkeley and Haas is is doing sustainability. And one of the bigger impacts or bigger programs that exist right now is the Michael's Graduate Certificate in Sustainable Business. Can you tell us a little bit more about the program? When was it launched? How does it work? And what is it aimed to achieve? I can definitely talk more about that. And I think it's, I'm going to take one quick step back and talk a little bit about sort of how we are approaching education around sustainability here at Haas, because when we think about working with business school students, whether they're at the undergraduate level, the MBA level, or even the PhD level, one of the things we are recognizing is that we have students who come to Haas every day who really have both a differing level of background knowledge and understanding of these different issues, but also interest. So, We want to make sure that whatever we're doing, that every student who comes to Haas at minimum leaves with a basic understanding of how climate change, social and environmental sustainability and environmental justice are a key part of being a business leader today. 
So that's why we're really working as broadly as we can to demonstrate and to integrate the fact that sustainability applies across all areas of business, marketing, finance and investment, human resources, leadership. These are all areas that are going to need to consider these. The Michaels Graduate Certificate in Sustainable Business, however, is a recognition that for many years we have had incredible students coming to Haas to pursue their MBA who are particularly passionate about issues of sustainability. And because of that, we have been building for many years incredible curriculum, an incredible breadth of curriculum, particularly for MBAs, looking at sustainability in in different ways. So I talked about sustainable finance, which is what I came to Haas to work on. We have had a food initiative, a sustainable agriculture and sustainable food initiative that has been running for many years that gets a significant amount of MBA interest. We have programming done by our Energy Institute and curriculum, like the course Clean Tech to Market, which is really for students who are interested in this intersection of renewable energy and startup and entrepreneurship. So we've got this incredible breadth of curriculum. And we've had students for a number of years taking this curriculum and graduating with it, graduating with the knowledge and the connections that they need to both go out and get a job in this field, but also to to be business leaders who understand these concepts in depth, no matter what job they go into. So I'm curious to know, like, what was the transformation of the transformation from like people having an ambition to go into sustainability, like having curriculum for that uh, ambition and actually putting a name to it? Like what happened in the transition and what what made it made the the pool for a name. Absolutely. So that's what you outlined is pretty much exactly what happened in the sense that we looked around and recognized that our students, our faculty and staff here at Haas were already delivering this high level of programming. So the certificate is a way to document that knowledge on one hand. So, so the first step What it does is it enables our MBA students to take curriculum, to receive a certificate and to demonstrate that to future employers that they have this in-depth expertise and understanding. The second thing that it does is it gives us a vehicle to really look intentionally about what we're offering and to identify where and how we want to be growing our sustainability curriculum offering across different areas. So For example, we may have really, really strong curriculum right now in corporate social responsibility or, as I mentioned, in sustainable finance. But we realize that we want to be offering more curriculum in, for example, sustainability measuring and reporting or real estate, for example, which is something that we recently are um, Professor Nancy Wallace, who heads our real estate group, really transformed her curriculum to be much, much more about sustainability in the built environment and in real estate. And so the Michaels Graduate Certificate gives recognition to the incredible work that was already happening. It gives us a vehicle to expand this. And it really recognizes the fact that there are a growing number of students who are really passionate about this area and who want to graduate and show that to prospective employers when they graduate. Great. Thanks, Kat. That was a super helpful overview. Um, Next, I want to just ask about the program eligibility and sort of, I guess, ease of access. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about what is required to complete this certificate? Is this something that 
is going to comprise a major chunk of an MBA student's time here at Haas? Is it the kind of thing that requires a lot of pre-planning or advanced planning? Or is it something that students can maybe more flexibly sort of work into their elective schedules and and their time here at Haas? Well, I think Olivia and Adriana, you might actually be better placed to answer this question than me. So maybe I'll answer it a little bit and then turn it back to you to get your thoughts. But I think to get the certificate, you have to be an enrolled MBA student um, and you have to take nine units of uh, curriculum that are included within the sustainability electives. So these electives map across a lot of different areas at Haas, but you essentially have to take nine units of courses from this kind of quite long list of options. The other piece of how we've structured the certificate, and this has been quite intentional, is that what we really want to make sure that students have is a kind of growing body of knowledge as they go through their two-year degree. So we have some basic foundational courses, which are very lecture-heavy, which are designed to give students a basic understanding of a particular area, energy and environmental markets, climate science, impact investing. These are some of the examples of the foundational courses that we have. We then have a series of courses that are much more hands-on, so synthesizing courses. And these courses are really designed for a student to put into practice the things that they're learning. So they will be making investments with the Sustainable Investment Fund. They would be connecting with renewable energy startups in clean tech to market. They would be working with a corporate partner in strategic and sustainable business solutions, advising them on a consulting project related to sustainability at a particular company. And so these courses are really designed from a learning by doing and applied innovation, which is something that Haas has specialized in for a number of years. And then finally, we have a whole bunch of elective courses that you can choose to fill the rest of those nine credits. So students can look around and see what are the things that I'm interested in learning about and plug in the rest of those nine credits to really get the specific education that they want around different areas of sustainability. Olivia and Adriana, is it easy to get? How much does it impact your curriculum? Or your course choices? Yeah, so we have like two different perspectives, right? Olivia is a full-time MBA and I'm an evening weekend MBA. So maybe the accessibility and availability uh, experience is different, but uh, it is just uh, important to say that the, the certificate is open for any type of uh, MBA path, like from full-time to evening weekend to the executive MBAs as well. Yeah, and I can provide a full-time MBA perspective. I think the courses in the certificate are some of the best courses that Haas has to offer for someone who's interested in sustainability and broader questions of social responsibility in business. So my experience has been that the courses in the certificate are very much courses that I would have taken anyway. And to be able to, I guess I'm not, actually doing the certificate. So maybe I shouldn't have done that. I am. But um, there it, it's in terms of the number of units and the, the number of units required, I think it fits very seamlessly into a full-time elective schedule. Um, for, for reference, most full-time MBAs take probably between 24 and 28 units worth of electives during their time at Haas. 
So for for nine of those to be dedicated to the certificate gives you a lot of opportunity to explore electives in many different topics, not just sustainability. Yeah, and the the program itself has been like really eye opener and fantastic for my path in innovation and early stage. Um, through has impact phones. So like what a couple of the best classes that I have taken through the UC Berkeley curriculum as an MBA has been the has impact phone, which you source startups and uh, you go through diligence, and all of them have an impact. So that's very close to my heart and very like eye opener and and action oriented. And the other one being like the sustainability in the Nordics curriculum, like a trip to Copenhagen where you can really see the full system in action, how sustainability works and a transformation that can create traction and action for you to evaluate. How do you transfer knowledge from the Nordics to to your local business as a, as a leader? So the curriculum works. Uh, you have to be flexible to take maybe some... Uh, day classes to a certain extent as an evening weekend student but those are mostly for the practical classes and uh, and they're not solely in person so you have like some flexibility in terms of of the amount of classes that you have to be in person for so it is it is flexible it is open and uh, it is a a life-changing journey for me (laughs) The other thing that maybe I can just add here is that the certificate is also very new. So we launched this in early 2021, so January 2021. So we're really coming up on just over a year of having this certificate. And I think it's been amazing to see the incredible levels of student interest in this certificate program. It's also made us realize that we need to continue to build out the opportunities and the options and the accessibility across all of the Haas MBA programs. And I think that's really been great. You know, I think the more that we can show that there is demand for these, for these courses, for these topic areas uh, from our students, it just really, well, for me, it's very heartening because it makes me feel like MBA students really understand the scale of the transformation of business that needs to be done in the next few years to avert both the climate crisis, but also achieve much broader environmental and social sustainability goals. But yeah, so we're still growing. We're growing every year, I would say. Yeah, that's a great point. And just knowing that there is a whole website dedicated for the certificate itself and where you can find more information and dive deeper into the order of courses and uh, when to the suggested times and when to take the right courses in order to be able to classify to specific practical classes and all of those details can be found just by doing a, a search of the in the website. Great. Well, Kat, we would love to also talk to you a little bit more about the why behind some of the choices when you were putting together the the program for the certificate. You've mentioned several of the areas in which Haas excels in terms of sustainability curriculum. You mentioned energy, food, agriculture, real estate, finance. Would you mind speaking a bit more about what types of electives students can take within the certificate and what was the philosophy behind choosing the electives that that you did? That's a great question, Olivia. I think 
that one of the biggest considerations, as I mentioned, when we were putting together what this certificate was going to look like for its initial launch in 2021 was to really showcase uh, the breadth of curriculum that we have in these areas that we mentioned earlier. So in food, in finance, in energy, in corporate social responsibility, in real estate. And so what you see is that when you come to Haas, uh, you can really get a sense that we don't just have one or two courses in each of these areas. Oftentimes, we have a whole curriculum on each of these topics that you can really dive into and learn a lot more about if that is something that you want to do as a career, as part of your future. So, for example, in energy, as I mentioned earlier, you can take a course called Energy and Environmental Markets to get a really foundational knowledge of energy markets and how those are interacting both with business and with governments as part of the renewable energy conversation. Um, you could take climate change and business strategy to understand how the science of climate change is impacting how businesses make decisions every day as an elective. You could take corporate sustainability measuring and reporting so that in the future you would know how to share this information with your company or with your board. And then to finish it, you can have a hands-on learning experience where you take clean tech to market to really work with renewable energy startups and create industry partnerships in the startup and in the energy industry for you as you move forward in your career. And so the design of the certificate is really to help students go on a journey through their learning in these areas and also to showcase the different curriculum focuses that you can have in different areas. Uh, we're still in the process of building that out. So we are hopeful to be adding more both individual classes and also broader curriculum kind of focus areas in the coming in the future. And if you're not getting the certificate, you can still take some of these um, classes, right? So it is not just solely dedicated for those that are sustainably uh, change change makers, but like just to get a, a baseline in itself. Absolutely. All of these courses are open to all MBA students at Haas. Kat, could you tell us a little bit more about why certain classes are included in the certificate and why others are not? I definitely can. And I think that that question touches on a real, I don't want to say tension, but it almost is a tension when we define sustainability, which is what is the definition of sustainability and what comes under that umbrella. And it's a conversation that we are having across Haas with faculty, with leadership, with students every single day. We wanted to answer that question as broadly as possible while recognizing that in order to run a successful certificate program, we do have to put certain parameters around what we are defining as sustainability. So what you will see is in the certificate, we have courses on supply chains, human rights, because those are key fundamental pieces of achieving sustainable business practices. The places that it becomes more interesting, and, and this is an ongoing conversation, is with courses like Haas has just launched a new elective on systems thinking. It ran for the first time this semester. And there are people who say that systems thinking is a leading 
methodology for creating more sustainable, more inclusive companies and business practices. And so that has become a question of should a course like systems thinking be included in the certificate program? And currently it is not, but it's an int- it becomes an interesting question of both what are the kind of technical skills and content knowledge that you need to be a sustainable business leader, but also are there new ways of thinking and of thinking about business that need to also be integrated? So that's an ongoing conversation that we're having here at Haas. And to lead into, like, to follow up on, on that question, the defining principles themselves, like, are we guide our conversation on our, on our cl- of our classes based on the four has defining principles. So like the sustainability conversation and the defining principles, how do they integrate and build up our leaders for the future? I think that the goals around sustainability and the harsh defining leadership principles are deeply aligned in the sense that When we look at what we have as defining leadership principles, student always, question the status quo, confidence without attitude. You know, these are things that I think are integral to being a business leader that really understands and integrates sustainability across all of the work. And it actually links and alludes to something that a colleague of mine said yesterday, which was she laughingly said to me, we've been doing this at Haas for years. We've been walking the walk for years and now we need to get better at talking the talk around sustainability and business. And so that's a big part of a lot of this work. It's a big part of launching the Michaels Graduate Certificate in Sustainable Business is to really give that recognition to work that we have been undertaking at Haas for many, many years. And we really feel it and see it and love it. (laughs) What advice do you have for students at Haas, including maybe prospective students who want to come to Haas, who are interested in the certificate? Where can they learn more and figure out what classes they need to take? So the easiest way is to go to the Sustainability at Haas website. There's a whole page dedicated to the Michaels Graduate Certificate in Sustainable Business. If you're a prospective student, It will give you an overview of what we are currently doing as part of the certificate program alongside and covers a lot of what I've talked about here. If you are a current student, there will also be links through to all this technical information you need about course timings and course numbers that you need to sign up. The advice I would have for students interested in taking the certificate is get started, take some of these courses. You're not committed to doing it. You're not committed to completing it. Lots of MBA students come to business school and pivot, as they say, halfway through their degree. So the whole certificate is structured in a way to be flexible and to take into account that. So start taking some classes, start figuring out what you're interested in and build your journey through the certificate around that. Thanks so much to Kat for talking to us about the Michael Certificate in Sustainable Business and sustainability offerings at Haas more broadly. We're excited now to speak with Sanchita Saxena, a lecturer here at Haas who teaches business labor and global supply chains, which is one of the eligible electives in the Michael Certificate. We 
just finished up our conversation with Kat Baird. And one of the things we discussed, which I think is really important for uh, you know, any MBA who's thinking about pursuing a career in sustainability is that it's not just about the environmental externalities. We're talking, we're, we're not just talking about pollution, carbon emissions, and waste when we think about sustainability here at Haas. So Sanchita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today. Great. Well, we would love to start off by learning a little bit more about you. Could you tell us about your career so far and sort of how you ended up uh, teaching at Berkeley Haas? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually trained as a social scientist. So it was, it's been a great experience teaching at Haas, but I actually, to be very honest, I didn't expect to kind of be at a business school. But I really think my training in social science has really helped me kind of frame the issues in a particular way, which I think is also relevant to, um, you know, business students. I've actually been on the Berkeley campus for about 15, more than 15 years now. I am the executive director at the Institute for South Asia Studies, and it's a, one of many organized research units under the vice chancellor for research. Um, and then I've also been, so in addition to that role, I've also been a researcher for many years, almost 20 years now, um, really, re- really started out researching the garment industry in Asia. And then it was kind of the pivotal moment uh, for me was in 2013 when the Rana Plaza disaster happened in Bangladesh. And, and that really kind of made me switch my focus to looking really at the role of business and issues around accountability and what business needs to do and should do and can do. So that's when I really, um, in 2019, I, I, I think it was 2019 when I really started thinking about this course and a lot of great support from the Center for Responsible Business. I had a book that came out in edited volume 2019 that kind of looked at the post Rana Plaza response. And it's, so my classes really kind of modeled after some of the ideas that come out of that edited volume. Wow, that's fascinating to hear from from you and the class. And uh, and uh, we want to hear more. So, like as as we were speaking with Kat, and she mentioned environmental, and she mentioned social, and uh, and other issues that are very important to us. And now, like hearing from you that the Rana Plaza disaster really made you think differently. Uh, we want to hear more about like how do you structure your class and uh, what are the key learnings in your, in the class that you want uh, for the students to to take while taking your course. Yeah, so I, um, as Olivia mentioned at the beginning, it's a two unit elective, and I think it's actually great having it as a two unit elective because I think it can fit into a lot of schedules. So you know, if four units, I think is. Of, of course, there's so many requirements and core classes, but I think a two unit allows students to get enough exposure, but, you know, not as much commitment necessarily as a, as a full four unit class. So I actually really appreciate teaching it as a, as a two unit elective. And the way it's taught, it's, it's very interactive. So I kind of think about four ways or methods of learning that I use or, or ways of teaching, I guess, that I use. So one is, um, short lectures and the lectures, that I give are, are are short and quite interactive in the sense there's a lot of kind of interactions with the students. And I started teaching this class when we were, you know, during COVID while we were on Zoom. And because we were on Zoom, we were all 
sort of told, you know, you can't just lecture for long periods of time, uh, which really actually helped structure the class because I, I anyway, even if even as I was in person this past fall, I did not want to be just lecturing for, you know, half an hour, hours on end. I think that's not really a good way for students to learn. So it's really short lectures with key ideas, but a lot of sort of question and answer and feedback with the students. The other thing is I assign a mixture of readings and short videos. So I also think there are different ways to absorb information and reading. Some of it is, you know, more academic in sense, like chapters from books, but some of it is are like shorter opinion pieces, blog posts, sometimes reports. So it takes some different forms, but I've also, I use a lot of videos because I think that sometimes students, you know, again, absorb information uh, differently. And then I, I have a great, um, this has been, a, you know, I've gotten really great feedback on this from students in the past. I have a great roster of guest speakers who come. A lot of them are really practitioners. So a lot of them come from industry. A lot of them come from NGOs or they work on labor issues in various capacities. And, and so it's been, the students really love that. And I think that's really an important learning, important tool, like teaching tool, because I think, you know, I possibly can't cover or even ex be expected to know every aspect of all the things that I, I want to cover. So they, they're all really experts in the field, but um, they also love to interact with Haas students. So that's been great. And then the final thing is really, I do a lot of group work and exercises, um, you know, in every class, both for the MBA class, of course, I mean, that's a big part of it, but we also have a lot more time to do really sort of group types of work. So whether it's a debate, whether it's really analyzing a case. In the undergrad class, I also do that shorter, but, you know, shorter exercises and just really things to get students to think about some of these issues beyond just, you know, what they've read. So yeah, I use, I use various sort of various ways of trying to present the material. Yeah, it sounds very multidisciplinary. Just, you know, as a student, I would echo that guest speakers can be really eye-opening and a nice way to have the sort of practitioner's view. Um, so it sound, sounds fascinating. Who, who are some of the guest speakers that you might bring to class? Well, so I was, um, let's see, I'm trying to think in the MBA class I've had, well, they've been affiliated with Haas in various capacities and very generous with their time. So I had Michael Kabori, who's now the CSO at Starbucks. I've had Anna Walker from Levi's. I had Shauna Sandowski from, uh, now she's actually at Ikea. It's from the business side, but really just doing great work around sustainability and particularly around labor issues. Michael actually is now, of course, CSO at Starbucks, but he spent about 20 years at Levi's. So he has a lot of perspectives on the, on the labor rights side. Then I have really, you know, great speakers from, you know, the nonprofit world. I have speakers from Humanity United. We have one speaker, for example, really cool sort of technologies that that they use or they fund to basically understand labor abuses and supply chains and and students especially some of the MBA students who actually come from a very tech background they're really fascinated by that i have others who work on really just important issues around gender-based violence other i had aisha berenblatt from uh, remake.org who's fantastic she's just so dynamic. And um, she came in person to my undergrad class and she was on Zoom for MBA. Yeah, whole range. I have a, a, someone from Target who talks about sustainability. I have to like go back to my syllabus again, but just really a wide range. I have a few academics. I have a, 
a friend and colleague who's at the Accountability Research Center in D.C. at American University, but she does a lot of research around sort of broader issues around accountability and how that relates to labor issues. So, yeah, I think it's a, um, you know, a great roster. I actually look forward to planning that every summer and, you know, trying to get that whole, you know, it's a little bit of a challenge. I mean, it's kind of an administrative challenge. You have to fit everyone into your syllabus, but I, I really kind of enjoy that aspect of putting the syllabus together. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like an amazing roster of interdisciplinary backgrounds. Could you could you just maybe briefly speak to a couple of the you know a handful of the the topics that you cover in your course? Yeah, so I start out by kind of free, you know an introduction to the issues. So the framing of the class is really under really uses the UN guiding principles as sort of a framework and to think about how that you know has impacted our understanding of, of labor rights and um, supply chains. And then it goes into kind of what has been attempted in the past. So in terms of looking at various private initiatives and how there's been emphasis on certain aspects of trying to make improvements, but we, we look at kind of examples of um, different initiatives, but we also look at the limitations and why they are not necessarily as effective as we would expect. And then we go into looking at other factors that may be important when analyzing labor abuses or trying to, trying to rectify labor abuses and, you know, that kind of go beyond sort of private sector monitoring. And we look at the role of technology. So as I mentioned, we have a great speaker who talks about specific uses of technology and how that can actually help us understand what's happening um, in the supply chains. The role of workers to actually looking at, and I have some great sort of labor activists who come and speak um, for that session, but the, really the role of workers and how we can think about worker-led social responsibility. So that's kind of a whole new movement, but thinking about workers themselves as, as a key driver of change rather than always doing things for them with, you know, without actually involving them. Um, the role of governments, of course, is critical, the role of consumers, and then going into really how how do we move forward? So I have a couple sessions on sort of rethinking the entire business model, especially in really thinking about global garment supply chains and, and even fast food, how we can actually rethink the way business itself is conducted and then kind of what that impact would look like if we rethought that. And of course, I think because we are, you know, kind of still in a pan in the pandemic, I in both of my classes, I have a, a whole session around COVID because you can't really talk about supply chains and labor issues without talking about COVID and the pandemic and how it kind of disrupted everything. But I also see it as a potential opportunity. So I talk about it in that context. Uh, I know I'm going a little bit off of, of script, but I just like your point talking about the how do you rethink the business model? And like, I'm curious to hear more about like how it does that exactly look like for you and for the course and for the learnings that people have in this class in this rethinking and reshaping and reforming the the purpose of business in in this space yeah yeah so there's i mean it's i like i said my background's really in the global garment industry so that's what i know really well but kind of the way the business has conducted itself in that industry for you know decades it's the especially with the rise of fast fashion and the kind of incredible 
I guess the competition that's created amongst suppliers all over the world and kind of the, it becomes a race to the bottom and each supplier is trying to sort of make sure that they, they get the business that they want, but it's really the global, global retailers that have, have the power in the, in the relationship. So they're able to really push for very, you know, very low cost, but, but kind of expect suppliers to produce a lot in terms of quantity and, and, you know, as fast as possible. And so that's kind of the dynamic, the way the global garment industry has worked. And there's a lot of evidence. And now we know that that kind of business model, especially around fast fashion, really, really does impact labor abuses. And it kind of leads to a lot of the problems we're seeing, you know, whether it's um, sort of gender-based violence, whether it's excessive overtime, all sorts of labor abuses. And so part of it is trying to show these connections to students and trying to see how they understand that even if we're making certain, trying to make certain interventions, why they may be limited is actually because we're not looking at the root cause. And if we look at actually the root cause, that actually changes the kind of approaches we could take. So it's also getting students to think creatively about how we might envision a new way of doing business, you know, what it could it mean? So one of my own research right now is is looking at the role of changed relationships. So between global retailers and their suppliers. So going from a transactional model to a more direct partnership. And, you know, that's something that I bring up to the students and get them to think about, you know, why would that make a difference? What what could we see as that being sort of a positive uh, difference? What could that mean for actually improving the livelihoods of workers. So that's that's just uh, kind of an example. And it's, you know, it's just obviously in a one semester course, you can only do so much. So you, I really touch on those things um, towards the end of the class. But I, I should also mention what's interesting is the, in terms of the assignments, the students do a group research project and presentation that they kind of work on throughout the semester. So that's an opportunity for them to explore and industry and particular questions that they're interested in. So they learn many things from the class, but I've had a lot of interesting presentations uh, around, for example, you know, the cobalt industry and sort of what that has done for labor issues. I had a great presentation in my MBA class last uh, fall about Amazon and organizing. And it turns out that just very recently, the person who is now the leader of this, they just agreed to unionize he, they were able to actually interview him, Mr. Chris Small, and it was just, it was fantastic. I mean, they, at that time, obviously it was, it was earlier. They didn't expect the outcome that we know of now, but it was a really great experience for them. And I just, maybe I should just add that in, in the MBA presentation, what was great is that one of the things the students in that group said was that, you know, we went into this conversation with Mr. Small, you know, who's been a union leader and activist for, for, decades. And he's also been, you know, there's been a lot of retaliation against him. But they went in trying to tell him, you know, as the three MBA students, you know, well, this is what we think really makes sense. Or this is what we think for workers. And what they realized, you know, Mr. Small very politely basically said, you know, none of that's going to work. I mean, this is kind of the reality of what workers want. And for for these students, I think it was really eye-opening that you know, kind of one of the things I talk about in the class is really thinking about solutions, but how they can be worker driven. And it, it kind of played out for them in real time as they were interviewing this, this, uh, you know, a labor leader who, who was basically saying, you know, your ideas are great, but in reality, this, that's not what workers need. And I think that's just such an important learning 
for students and you know, all of us to, to, to remember. Yeah, it sounds like such an incredible opportunity to, to learn and test in real time. I also love that a big part of your course is really focused on challenging the status quo and challenging the existing models for thinking about supply chains and human rights. Many students who come through Haas and pursue their MBA are going to be serving in leadership roles at some of the world's largest and most influential companies. I wonder, what do you hope that those students who take your class remember when they're sitting in the boardroom, when they're sitting in their office in an executive role, making decisions that affect human rights? What do you hope that they remember most from your class? Well, I guess, I mean, you know, very broadly, I hope that they they know that they could absolutely make a, a big difference, you know, as because of their role in a particular company, they actually can, you know, make a significant difference. And also the, you know, what I hope they take away from this, you know, my class and, and other classes like this really is that these issues should not be sidelined in companies and just focused on, you know, corporate response, corporate social responsibility divisions are handling it. It should be completely integrated throughout the company, you know, so it, it impacts every department, you know, from marketing to HR to sales to, you know, the whole, the whole range. Um, and I think I, in the past, I mean, even now you see that, you see there's a big disconnect between sort of the CSR department, they're doing one thing, but then like, you know, purchasing and procurement are doing something totally at odds, you know, with good, uh, you know, CSR practices. So that I think is the eventual, would be the eventual goal that, you know, it's not, it's not a, a, a unique side project, you know, for the, the, the company. It's actually needs to be integrated throughout. And I think you know, I really am confident that Haas students can, um, you know, play an important role in doing that and integrating it throughout, which which is going to make it makes it a lot more impactful, I think. Yeah, thank you so much, Sanchita, for this example on how like siloing uh, sustainability really cannot <laughs> deploy sustainability uh, like as it is. One question that I have in that regard is how do you go Beyond the thing, like sometimes we think sustainability or, or like I'm origin from Colombia, so like thinking of the global south is one of the bigger things that I that I have in my mind. And sometimes feels like companies in the global north are thinking of sustainability in a very monochromatic way. So like how do you bring sustainability to the global south in a realistic way in how you do business? Yeah. Um well, let me think about that a little bit. So, I mean, you, do you mean with thinking about how they interact with the communities in the global south? Or? Yeah, in, in a way, I think like sometimes we think of sustainability or CSR as doing philanthropy and like touch and go. But through like classes like yours, I envision or I see that sustainability and supply chains and the labor practices like really tackle how we think about the global south. So like taking that into into account, how how do you teach your class or what is like the number one thing that, that, that we should think about like sustainability as a global factor and not as a north centric space? 
Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. I think in, in the traditionally it's been, I mean, it still is a very much of um, a power differential. Again, you have the Northern based companies and you have most of the manufacturing and most of the suppliers in the global South. And so, you know, on one hand, I mean, of course it's provided opportunities, it provided jobs, but on the other hand, I mean, it's destroyed communities, destroyed the you know, environment. And it's, created a situation where you have, you know, millions of people around the world, many, many of them women, who really are not able to, I mean, yes, they have a job, but the impacts on their health and their physical and mental health and even their livelihoods, because, you know, one of the things we talk about is that the, the wages are actually so low that you, they're not really enough to sustain on. So yes, they're provided a job, but that's not that's not the ultimate goal. Just not as a side, I mean, one of the lectures that we talk about when we talk about workers themselves, you know, we, I bring up this question about women and empowerment, because I think that comes up a lot when you're thinking about, especially women in the global south, you know, well, it, it, you know, if we just go and provide these employment opportunities, somehow they're going to be empowered and we've, we've done this kind of great thing. And we really sort of unpack the idea of what empowerment truly means. You know, for example, if these women, yes, they have a job, but they're completely, you know, physically and mentally depleted by the age of 30, you know, because they can't also, you know, sustain this kind of difficult, difficult types of jobs or that they don't get enough wages and they're, you know, still struggling to make ends meet or, you know, they basically, they, they leave their job and they go home and then, you know, they're, they're abused by their, their husbands or their, you know, in-laws or whatever it is. I mean, there's so many other aspects in their lives that where they don't, they're not truly empowered. They're not able to make the decisions. So simply providing a job is not kind of the, you know, serving the purpose. So that's one of the things we talk, uh, talk about, you know, on the side, just thinking about empowerment. But yeah, I think this, you know, this ideas between, it, it's, it's slowly changing in terms of, I think the idea used to be there is just a huge abundance of labor and in these countries and we need to go and we need to set up, you know, our factories or whatever it is. And we, at whatever cost, you know, it, it is, we need to, we will be attracting them. And, and, and the vision, the, the feeling was very much one of, you know, they are somehow benefiting. Somehow they should almost be very grateful that we're providing these opportunities. I think now it's, it's, there is definitely a shift in that thinking, because like I said, you know, there's, been a lot of damage in many ways, uh, both to human capital, but also to the environment, the surrounding communities in many cases. But now there's a lot more awareness about what this, this sort of extractive relationship has done over time. And rethinking, again, sort of that's another rethinking, how we can actually think of these corporations to be more of a productive and contributing force in these communities in these countries rather than you know taking everything possible and 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 just leaving you know after that that kind of you know it's been equated to sort of the new modern day colonialism essentially and that's definitely a shift that we we need to make thank you sanchida for that i'm curious to know are there examples of companies that you see who are doing this well and maybe serving as a model for other companies when it comes to building a supply chain that is empowering and not extractive? Yeah. So I probably, I won't mention any particular companies by name. I just hesitated that just because it, you know, 
it, it may look like I'm sort of supporting that particular company versus others. And everyone, I know there are many companies that have, you know, have sincerely, I think, tried to attempt to make improvements and, and, but then there's all sorts of reasons why they may not have. So I'll talk, I'll talk maybe generally a little bit about some important aspects of what could be, you know, what, what could lead to change. Yeah, that's perfect. I think maybe a better question is, are there any models that you've seen emerge that you feel particularly optimistic or hopeful about that, you know, may serve as an example for, for other companies down the road? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned one and, and one aspect of it is actually very new. I, I myself, I'm just reading about it. So there's, you know, I talk uh, a lot about the gender-based violence. That's, that's really endemic um, in these supply chains for a variety of reasons, but it's something that has gotten, it's gotten more attention recently. And a few years ago, and I give this, I do, we do sort of a small case study on this. There's an agreement, it's a binding agreement that's in place in Lesotho, Africa, for uh, particular companies that trying to eradicate the gender-based violence from their supply chains. And they, they're basically holding the, this was actually, I mean, the, it, those who have set this up are really outside organizations. So NGOs and workers' rights groups, but they basically really, the, the companies are going to really be held liable, you know, at sort of every stage. And so it's not sort of something like where companies in the past have, have not paid as much attention to gender-based violence, or they sort of, in a way, um, I sort of hate to say this, but I think some of them really think it, that's just kind of the the cost of doing business. Like that's it's it's they don't see it as the problem that it really is. Um, and so that agreement, it's sort of a binding agreement that legally holds that this particular brands liable for particular you know gen- harassment and gender based violence. In as part of that, there's also it's very much worker led, which is also really important. So workers have had a lot of input in in designing the kind of agreement that it will look like. And workers also have, part of this is also like a way for workers to have, be able to kind of, um, you know, anonymously be able to report back to the brand, especially when when they're witnessing or they're experiencing particular kinds of uh, violence. And so very recently, I mean, literally, I think just yesterday or the other day, there was, um, it's in the news. And so I can just say, you know, H&M has actually signed a similar type of agreement. I haven't looked at it as closely, but I think it's modeled after the Lesotho agreement. But there was a really terrible incident in a in a factory in India where where a worker was basically over a period of time harassed and then assaulted and then raped and murdered by her supervisor. And it received a lot of attention. And so I think H and M is actually trying to trying to do something similar using this sort of, of you know, um, this type of agreement and trying to address this issue in their supply chains. Unfortunately, you know, some of these things, I mean, because I w- I've worked on Rana Plaza, which was a horrible disaster, some things don't happen unless there has to be a really terrible incident or disaster or someone, you know, like a murder in this case was just you know, no one likes to have that on their record. So it, sometimes it takes, and it's unfortunate, but it takes something really severe. But I'm, I, I see those as really two positive kinds of ways to deal with this problem. That is, you know, it's only the beginning. I mean, there needs to be a lot more. But again, I feel like I'm seeing some shifts in, you know, just the awareness uh, of how important these issues are and the fact that we need to do something about it. Yeah, it is definitely 
really critical, important to act fast and and be able to recognize with frame, frameworks, if possible, that can be translated from industry to industry or from maybe within the same industry and have as as general practices as well. So, thank you for sharing that example. I think it is it is very very well put. As an instructor at a business school, what what is your view on the role of of business schools in addressing human rights issues in the supply chain? And you know, what more do you hope that business schools can do going forward? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's it's so critical and that's why I'm so pleased to be teaching this this class this these classes at Haas rather than you know, I mean, there could be, could have been in another department, but I, I really think it's critical because Haas, you know, we, the, the purpose of the business school is to be training the next generation of business leaders and, and they need to really understand, um, kind of the reality. I mean, I think if I think about the main goals or the three sort of, I guess, goals or takeaways of my class, it's really, you know, one, it's basic just empathy and awareness around the realities on the ground. I think a lot of people don't. It's not that they they are are careless or callous. They simply just don't know. A lot of students have told me later, "Gosh, I know it was so eye opening. Like I really didn't realize that this was happening." Also, to be able to critically analyze potential solutions, analyze them, but also critique them. And I think that's also important at a university setting. You know, we need to be able to constantly critique, not just for the sake of critique, but the, for the for the reason of trying to improve and trying to do better and trying to really understand, you know, like I said, I mean, why some of the things have not worked for decades. You know, there's been a lot of emphasis on labor issues for decades and decades, but you don't see the kinds of improvements that you would expect. So there's a reason for that. Okay, well, maybe there are, you know, solutions are not addressing the things that we need to address. And then I think just the, this is where, you know, I, I just will say, I mean, I think Berkeley students, Haas students are just really great in terms of thinking about, thinking beyond, you know, outside of the box, thinking about new approaches. Like I said, in the project that they do, I mean, I myself always learn so much from the students because their thought process, their thinking, you know, what, what could it look like? What could it, how could it be different? And this is for both undergrads and MBAs and, you know, how, what can they do? And so I hope they take all this into their whatever role they have in business. And they're able to integrate this, like I said, you know, sort of beyond just a CSR department. Not that, I mean, is it, they join a CSR department, that's, that's great. But if they join a marketing department, a sales department, these are, these ideas can be, can be infused, you know, throughout the, the company, throughout the larger structure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I feel like it's the business students in this case that really need to understand the realities and then, you know, use their kind of, you know, analysis and, and, and their skills to be able to come up with better solutions. And I, I think, you know, we'll see that. I mean, it's, I'm, I definitely end the class with a lot more, a lot of hope, even though we talk about very, you know, some things are probably very, you know, I would say, I mean, quite disturbing, actually, a lot of the things we do talk about. And, and we have speakers who come and who really work on the ground and they they talk about a lot of the realities. A lot of it is not pleasant at all. But at the same time, you know, I always feel like we have to have that perspective. You know, if I look back to even when I started, you know, 20 years ago to now, there's been a, a huge shift in just sort of thinking, huge kind of improvement. Yeah, do, of course, we need to do more. It's not enough. But 
we have to just look at it as progress. And I, and that's where I'm really confident Haas students are going to be able to take this forward. That's a wonderful, inspirational note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, our time with these two magnificent women has come to a close for now. Thank you so much to Kat for sharing with us how Haas is evolving and equipping students with the knowledge and tools to become business leaders with a sustainability lens, and to Sanchita for leading important conversations about human rights and business. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to our second episode of Sustainability at Haas. We have more to share with you. So do not forget to join us in the following episodes where we're going to be talking to faculty, alumni, and our career group about like different perspectives of sustainability and that space here at Haas. <laughs>